Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined once again by Colin Haas Hill. And I can actually see Colin right now. We're we're recording on Zoom this week, a, a new thing for us. So it's nice to actually see your face again, Colin. It's a little weird. I mean, we've never it done is. this. I haven't seen your face when we've recorded since we did it back in the old Upper Arlington Library. What, back in the days was... before COVID took over our world. That would yeah, have been like but, February. Yeah, I remember when we could, you know, like have human contact. That was nice. Yeah, that it, it's been a long time, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, we I think we there's a good chance that we're just going to be uh, remotely podcasting from here on out. So I think we've we've gotten used to it at this point. But uh, you know, trying this a little differently. Uh, we're not planning to release the video as of now, uh, but who knows? Maybe if there's a, a clip or something, we'll get it out there. If there's a, if there's a demand. To see our faces, that would be a legitimate shock if there was a demand. To I would be shocked. That. We we are both wearing shirts, which is a plus because uh, yeah, we can been... we can tell you from experience that we have been on some zooms where uh, people uh, did not wear their shirts. And that was yeah, no, that's you know as listen, it's the off season. Football's canceled. I feel like we need to bring that up because that was funny and it feels. You know, that even feels like it was a long time ago, but Ryan Day's press conference, right, the first Zoom press conference that he's ever done because everything else has just been a teleconference. You know, you pull it up, here's Ryan Day's you know, getting prepared, and I'm looking at all the media, and it is a fascinating sight to see everybody. And then, you know, there's someone at the bottom of the screen just sitting there in front of his computer without a shirt on. And, you know, <laughs> I don't. I, I think most people didn't see it, I'm over here just trying not to just die laughing as a press conference is starting. And I, you know, I felt bad for, for the guy, but um, you know, that's, that's the life we're living. I guess we're just in a zoom world. The, the saddest news is that Patrick Murphy shaved his beard because yes, our uh, friend he, from Bucknuts looked yeah, like he was, I don't know, homeless. Yeah. He, 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 he had a coronavirus beard going for about five months. And on the last, on the last zoom, he, he did still have it going, but he has since shaved. I'm yes. sad to, sad to report. Yeah. I know we're starting our uh, podcast off with some rousing topics, but let's be honest, Dan, we've got, we've got a few months of this time to fill because um, listen, there's a lot to talk about, but there's also not a lot to talk about because at this time of the year, we are used to doing something totally completely different. And instead no, last week you ended your week by going to Chicago to see a protest of like two dozen Ohio State parents to who are protesting Kevin Warren, who was not in the building that they were protesting at. And this is this is where we are in this cycle. Dan, let's just start there. What what was that day like and, and what did you expect going in? How did it live up to expectations? Yeah, it was it was pretty pretty weird i mean to be honest like I, I would never have imagined that six months ago in august i would be uh, on two days notice booking a flight to chicago to go to rosemont illinois and stand in a turf field near the big 10 headquarters uh to listen to parents talk about why uh you know in some cases that fall sports should be reinstated or if not, at least if there should be more uh, transparency and communication uh, with Kevin Warren. So, I mean, it, it was, it was different. I mean, it was, I mean, the only thing I can really compare it to was two years ago uh, when there was a protest held outside Ohio stadium uh, about urban Meyer being suspended. And it, it does sound as though we're going to have another 
uh, rally outside Ohio Stadium, also led by Randy Wade, Sean Wade's father, on Saturday. So I will be there for that as well, and we'll be interested to see how that goes. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a very 2020 moment, I think, to be out there, you know, covering, you know, that rally. And, uh, you know, I'll say, I'll say this, you know, I, I, I respect the passion of, of the parents. I, I respect the passion of someone like Randy Wade who, you know, booked a flight uh, to Chicago and, you know, he lives in Florida. So, I mean, he, he's booking a flight on a few days notice uh, to go make a statement. And I, I respect his passion. I respect the passion of all the parents who, who made the trip there. Uh, you know, it, I'd say it went about how I thought it would. I mean, I was not expecting there was any chance that there was, they were actually going to get a meeting out of, of the Big Ten out of it. Um I'm not even sure if anybody was there at the Big Ten headquarters that day because I think everybody's been working remotely during the pandemic. So, you know, it made it a very easy event for people to to mock. Um, you know, I think a lot of people looked at it and said, you know, 30 people showed up. There there might have been more reporters there uh, than media. So that made it a very easy event for people to mock. But, you know, I understand it. I, I understand the passion. Uh, I understand why people are upset. I mean, you know, this is – an unprecedented decision that the big 10 is made and you know you know people are i think are understandably upset about the lack of communication they've got from the conference so i think you know the feeling behind randy wade and those parents that went was that you you know what we need to you know we need to get our message out in a different way than just social media and i think to some extent it worked because the amount of media that actually went to, to cover it. I mean, they, they, you know, I know, you know, they were on ESPN and, you know, a lot of Ohio state outlets were there. A lot of local media outlets were there. So they got media coverage for the event, but whether it's going to actually lead to anything tangible changing uh, as of now, that doesn't appear to be the case. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting thing because like what is like two dozen parents going to the big 10 headquarters with no one there? Like what's that actually going to change? Probably not much. And like, what do those parents deserve for answers? I don't, I don't know. I don't really know. I think the players deserve some answers. I think they deserve some transparency. Um, I think coaches deserve transparency that they haven't gotten. And I think that, you know, I think it is easy to, to, to point at them and say like, these are helicopter parents. What are they doing? Why are they speaking up? But, like, you've seen Justin Fields speak up. You've seen other athletes speak up. You've seen coaches speak up. You've seen Mark Pantone lose his mind on Twitter. Like, if that's all not going to change anything, I do understand the, the you know, the willingness and, and desire to, to travel to the Big Ten and try and get some answer because nothing else has really worked. So I really do understand that. The other aspect is, like, I'm not really sure that – these demands are really like, I, I don't understand how they can't be met. Like Randy Wade's essential, essentially Randy Wade's ask is like, Hey, can you talk to us? Like that, am I wrong? Or is that, that pretty much is it boiled down? Like he would just like some open lines of communication to hear from them. And to me, that's a pretty simple request. They've, it's, it, it's, it's, you're, you're not going as far as Nebraska parents are to bring lawyers into this. You're just asking, hey, can we hear from you? That's yeah, reasonable. Yeah, I think that's what it became. I think, you know, initially, 
uh, when he started it, it probably mm-hmm. was going to be a reinstate the fall season rally. Yeah, I think. And, and that's where that's where you know good luck with that. Not they're not listening to two dozen parents. Yeah, and I think when the letter came out on Wednesday, that that you know, because because I mean, remember a week ago now there were rumors out there. There was uh, multiple people out there starting rumors on social media that. Uh, there were talks about reinstating this season and, you know, back channel conversations between schools trying to leave. the Sir, Sir Yacht was really tuned into those back channels. Yeah. Yeah. There was some, some rumors out there, but Kevin Warren slammed the door shut on those rumors on, on Wednesday. He said, it's not going to change. Uh, Gene Smith released a statement uh, very shortly after that, uh, in which he did not, he did not name Kevin Warren. He did not directly address the letter, but, but did, essentially say that, you know, we're focused on the winter and spring and you know, that's where our focus is uh, trying to make that happen. And, and we'll get to that a, l- a little bit, but uh, you know, I, I do, I think, you know, by Friday, I, you know, I think, I think, you know, I think Randy Wade's a very passionate person. He's very outspoken. He, he has been for years, but I also think he's realistic. I think he, he, he understood that uh, by Friday that the season was not going to be reinstated. And, and, and that's that. I mean, that's that. I mean, we, we're across that bridge at that point. If, if you're still hoping the Big Ten is going to reverse course on its decision, it's, it's not going to happen. I mean, it's, it's just not going to happen at this point. That, that decision has been made. Even if the ACC and the Big 12 and the SEC play this fall, the, the Big Ten's not going to play until the winter of a spring, and, and they're just going to have to live with that decision that was made. But I agree with you. I mean, it, to me, the fact that it's now been two weeks since the decision and – we still have players and coaches asking for this dialogue from Kevin Warren. I mean, to me, that's unacceptable. I think as the commissioner of the big 10 for him to not be able to take the time to meet with at least the players and the coaches from each of the 14 big 10 schools. I don't think that's too much to ask when you make a decision this big, I think that you should, you should be taking the time to have a zoom meeting you know, I mean, at the very least, with coaching staffs, with team captains, with whoever, you should be taking the time to have these conversations with teams because this is a big deal. And I, and I know there's, there's some people who would make the counterpoint of, look, there's a pandemic going on. Let's get real. They're making a decision for, for health and safety. There really shouldn't be that many questions to ask. But, I mean, this is a decision that has an enormous effect on, on these players' lives, on, on these teams. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, for them to, you know, for them to want to ask more questions, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't, I don't think there's any, there's any reason uh, for for that to be mocked. And and I do think they, I do think they should be in, entitled to that. And I think, you know, I think from a parent's perspective, you know, I, I understand, you know, the people saying, well, you know, these are adults; they shouldn't need their parents to speak up for them, but. You know, I, I think I think it was Randy Wade who made the point about, you know, a lot of times these players and coaches, you know, they have to – they maybe feel they have to be more careful about what they say because they are, you know, direct representatives of the school, whereas the parents are not. So I think they feel a little bit more emboldened uh, to speak up on their son's behalf. And, you know, I, you know, I, I, I think it's just passion. You know, I, I think they're just, you know, they just want the best for their sons. I, I think the protest was – well-meaning. I think the letters they've sent are, are well-meaning. And I think, you know, I, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of parents over the past a week or two and, you know, for the most part, 
you know, most of them, you know, when I ask them questions about, you know, what their son will do, you know, in the spring or whatnot, you know, most of them go back to, you know, they're going to let their sons make that decision. You know, I don't, I don't think it's that they're trying to, to do everything for their sons. I think it's just that, you know, they feel like they need to speak up because they feel like their son's concerns, their son's coach's concerns aren't being heard. Yeah. I think that that's totally reasonable. Um, I really do. And, and, you know, as we, as we sit here today, I, I don't really know that people are going to get the answers that they feel like they deserve. And, you know, that, that's just going to be so weird. I mean, if, if, if we sit here in a month and we still don't have Kevin Warren going out and having a press conference or going out and talking to, you know, all of these different parents, I just think that that'll be just so weird and just such a, I don't know. I think it'll be such a miss by him because like talking to the parents should be pretty easy, shouldn't it? I don't think that this is a, a crazy ask. Um, talking to different reporters and, and having, you know, an extended press conference on video, I think that that's totally reasonable. I think the issue is, like, when he's been on video, the answers haven't been up to snuff. I, I think that he's he's been a problem when he's, you know, had that original BTN video. Um, and, you know, I think, I think that that's – I think the communication is a real issue with, with, you know, what the Big Ten's trying to do. And I don't really know – what we are going to hear from them anytime soon. And look, like I've been inclined, like, especially at the start of this thing to cut Kevin Warren some slack because he's been thrown into a ridiculously difficult situation as a first year commissioner having to deal with a pandemic. But at the same time, as the commissioner of a big 10, you're in one of the biggest jobs in college sports you need to be prepared for a situation like this. And when I hear stuff like I, I, it wasn't a direct quote, but we have to go off this stuff because we don't get to talk to the guy. Uh, I think it was Teddy Greenstein was on Paul Feinbaum's show last week. And, and he basically said that from talking to Kevin Warren, that, you know, Warren basically told him that he did not expect the blowback to be this bad. And, and to me, that tells me that Kevin Warren was not prepared for this job. Because if you did not realize that canceling Ohio State football was going to have a significant blowback, then you're not really prepared to be leading the Big Ten. Because you've got to understand the passion that certain fan bases in this conference have. And Ohio State is right at the top of that list. And he absolutely should have understood the blowback that was coming and he should have had a clear strategy in place for communicating about the decision that was made. And it's now become clear that he didn't. And and I still, and I think still, he's still fumbling the ball here because yeah, I mean, he can take an hour out of a day to have a press conference with reporters. He, He can take a couple days to have conversations with the athletes and and coaches who are affected by this decision. That is part of his job. And and I think the fact that, you know, there continues to be such a cloud around this, it leads to all the conspiracy theories that are out there. It leads to all the different perceptions that people have about this decision. And I, I just think, I think from the beginning here, I think that's what everybody agrees on now is it, you know, I think there's people who completely disagree with the decision. I think there's people who realize 
the decision, you know, could very well prove to be the right decision. But I think mostly everyone agrees that communication has been a problem here with the Big Ten. And that, you know, they, they, if when the next time this situation comes up, whether it's with winter football or whatever it is, the communication has got to be better here because I, I think, you know, there's been some major wounds in the Big Ten now that have been exposed. And I think it's going to take some time uh, to fill, fill those gaps. And I think, you know, you're going to have a lot of people now who are very wary of every decision the Big Ten makes under Kevin Warren's leadership. So I think the next time you have to make a bitter, a, a big decision, you better have your communication figured out a much better than you did this time. So when we look forward and we try and think like, <clears throat> when when will we have any more anth- any further answers or will we like what are we thinking about this Saturday thing? Because you know, I'll be honest. Um, you know, Randy Wade's going to have a rally at Ohio Stadium on Saturday. I I don't really know that this is going to be helpful, and I don't know. Like I I understand his passion. I think I think from a parent's perspective, it's totally reasonable. When I see on Twitter like Tennessee Jeff, uh, an Ohio State fan who is, uh, I would say. Uh, He's a little bit out there. Um, when he's going to bring what? What did what did he say he was going to bring? Uh, I think it was a pinata of, of Kevin Warren's Warren, face. Kevin yeah. Warren's head. Listen, don't do that. Don't do that. And like, if you're if if we're at this part of like this is where you sort of draw a line and say, all right, we're going to try and push this thing and see what we can find answers wise. Like, I'm a little worried that Saturday is going to regress. Um, in the pursuit for an, for answers. Um, so I will be interested to see how this thing plays out. Um, but, you know, no one's going to stop answer, asking these questions from a media side or from a parent side or from a coach side or from a player side until they're answered. So, you know, as long as Kevin Warren waits, I don't know, maybe he's waiting to figure out this spring or winter schedule and then he's going to go on a media tour and then he's going to try and talk you know, largely about the winter rather than the decision to cancel the fall. I, I imagine that's probably part of his plan. Um, but until there are certain questions that are, you know, answered in a, in a reasonable way, I think they're going to get continued to continue to get asked about the Big Ten and Kevin Warren. It'll be, you know, it'll be totally, totally reasonable until they actually, you know, answer them and let, like, People don't want to read open letters. They want to hear Kevin Warren say things. And if Kevin Warren had even, you know, if you drop that um, document that they released, the the open letter where, you know, you give some reasons, even if they aren't incredibly specific on the reason for the cancellation on the day that you actually cancel that, you know, things are made more reasonable. And then also, you know, if Kevin Warren actually goes and, has an extended press conference where it goes through these reasons in more depth. Like this is, this is sort of what you're supposed to do, at least in my mind as a conference commissioner. And, you know, he's failed to do so at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, I think his strategy probably is trying to just wait this thing out and, and trying to let uh, this, you know, just kind of hoping it's just going to roll over and that people are going to move on. And I think the point of a protest like Saturday is people trying to show we're not going to move on. If, if, if you don't give us answers, we're going to keep pressing for them. So I think that's why, you know, Randy Wade and other Ohio state parents are organizing mm-hmm. this rally, you know, and I, and I think they also want, because there really weren't any fans at the, the rally on Friday, which I think is understandable, very short notice, uh, 
people probably aren't going to go to Rosemont, Illinois, just to show up at a rally when they have to work. So I think the hope is you're going to get a crowd of Ohio State fans there uh, to support your cause on Saturday. Now, will that actually help your cause? I tend to be like you, Colin. I, 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 I tend to have my doubts there because, you know, I mean, I mean, first of all, I mean, to be completely honest, this decision is not – this decision was not made uh, – This deci- none of these decisions even really should be made based on – because it upsets fans. You know, you, you do owe the players and the coaches – and the parents' answers. And I do think you owe the public answers for sure, but angry fans rallying outside Ohio Stadium is not going to change anything. It, it's just, it's just not, it's, it, it's just not. And I, you know, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to discourage anybody from, from going. If, if you want to go, if, you know, if you feel like, you know, you want to, uh, you know, voice your support, go for it. I'm, I'm going to be there. So I'm not trying to discourage anybody from going, but you know, I, I, I do think, you know, I, I get why the protest is happening this Saturday. I think after that, I think the, these uh, protest rallies, whatever you want to call them might have jumped the shark. Uh, Cause I, I, I think there comes a point where, you know, I, certain things are not going to change just because, you know, people are, people are out there at a rally. I mean, I, I, I do, I do question whether this is actually going to help. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think, a sh- I think, you know, a show of support and what they're trying to do, I, I, I get it. Um, but I am, I, I would say, you know, if you're an Ohio state fan, if, if, if you want this to be a positive look for Ohio state, if you want this to further the message you're trying to send, then be respectful about how you go about this on Saturday. Because uh, I think, I, I think, you know, things like Colin mentioned, I think there's certain ways to go about this, that this can just be a bad look for Buckeye nation. Um, I think if you're respectful about it, uh, then I think it can be a, it can be a good look for Buckeye Nation. It can be a sh- you know a show of how much Ohio State fans care and, and how much uh, they support the program and and their players and and their fight for answers. But uh, I think if you t- I think if you make it too personal toward Kevin Warren or toward anybody else, I think that is where things could uh, absolutely go wrong. Yeah, and Kevin, listen, Kevin Warren deserves a lot of criticism, but. You know, there's been so much talk about was there a vote, wasn't there a vote. Kevin Warren's not the one who's making this deciding vote. You're talking about the university presidents who are who are doing that, and that's Christina Johnson and the others from, from the other Big Ten schools. So, you know, listen, Kevin Warren deserves a lot of blame for how this thing has been rolled out, and I don't think that they were prepared. And I think the fact that, you know, they had five months to prepare a spring or winter schedule, and they didn't even remotely discuss that is a complete embarrassment. I don't understand how you can go that long without even thinking that far ahead. Um, I think that that, I mean, it's just, that's just, that's so terrible to even, you know, have those quotes come out, have people really going out in public and saying, yeah, we didn't even talk about this at all. That's crazy to me, but you know, there are other people other than just him. And, you know, that's why I think hearing from Christina Johnson at some point is going to be important too. And I, I don't really know when that'll be either. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very important. You know, and I think the reality there is partially that she, her tenure as Ohio State president officially just started yesterday. So uh, I think that's one of the reasons why we haven't heard from her. So, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, we do have to factor that into it. Uh, there's board of trustees meetings, I think actually starting like right now as we're recording that are happening over the next couple of days. So, you know, I imagine we maybe could hear some comments from her coming out of that. Um, you know, I, I, I do think it would be, you know, good if, you know, she, you know, held something with the media soon. Um, so that, you know, she can, you know, answer and, and be asked these questions uh, about, you know, her perspective on what happened in those big 10 presidents meetings, you know, you know, Gene Smith as well, you know, I mean, based on some of the stuff that's been reported, it sounds like he really didn't even necessarily have uh, a voice that he should have had in this conversation. But, um, you know, you know, he, and, and to his credit, you know, he's someone who is typically generally uh, accessible to the media. He did have a, a brief interview session uh, the day of the decision outside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. But, you know, I imagine, you know, we'll hear from him in a more formal setting at some point uh, soon as well. And I think he can help, you know, fill in some of the blanks that people have. Cause, because, you know, I think, I mean, I think that's another valid question that Ohio State fans have is I think, you know, there's a lot of Ohio State fans who feel like, you know, Ohio State didn't fight hard enough to, to preserve the football season. And I don't know if that's accurate, but I also don't know that it isn't accurate because we haven't had the opportunity to talk to Christina Johnson, to talk to Gene Smith. We don't really know exactly what was said in those meetings. So uh, I believe them on the surface that they were in support of a fall season. I believe what I've heard from other people that, you know, Gene Smith uh, did fight for them to have a season. And that, you know, that was in a bit Ohio state really felt like uh, they would be able to play this fall, but we still don't know exactly what happened. So I think, you know, the longer we don't hear from these people, the more anger it just brews up in people and the more it allows different theories that may be right or wrong to continue to bubble up. Yeah. And it's hard to throw your weight around if you're Ohio state and that's, you know, you are this size institution, you have this powerful program, you know, you can do at times. Um, but it's hard to do that when, you know, as has been reported, you know, a lot of the meetings with the presidents only had the presidents. They didn't have the ADs and Ohio state is trying to, you know, Ohio state's president, was an incoming president when this decision was made. And, you know, she's in her first year at Ohio State. She hadn't even, you know, officially become the president yet. And you have Gene Smith over there who, yeah, he's a, he's a powerful person um, when it comes to Big Ten athletics. Um, but if he's not, you know, in every single meeting, and Ohio State's representative is an incoming president, Christina Johnson, who just doesn't have that kind of experience yet, I think that that's – it gets a lot harder to throw your weight around if you're Ohio State in that situation. But, um, Dan, do we want to talk about a winter season? I think it's – I think I think a winter season is so fascinating because I don't know that everybody else wants to listen to us talk about a winter season yet. Yeah, it's it's kind of odd. It's kind of odd because I do – you know, I think there's a lot of fans that are – just writing off this idea of a winter spring season. And, you know, I mean, I think a big part of that is the fact that as of right now, the ACC, the big 12 and the SEC are still planning to play. So uh, as of right now, it, it, it looks like this winter spring season is not going to come with a college football playoff. The college football playoff will have already happened. 
uh, that it's not going to come with a chance to truly compete for a national championship. And I think that's a hard thing for people to accept because this was a team that was supposed to compete for a national championship. You know, and I think, you know, we can reasonably predict if this is a big 10 only season, Ohio state should run the table. Now, granted, they could also lose a lot of guys to the NFL and that could, that could create a lot more parity. But, you know, I think the idea of a season where if a big 10 championship is the biggest thing Ohio state can win, that would take a lot away from the season. Yeah, it, it would. It would. I mean, I, it's hard to even come to grips with it yet because I do think that there are certain moving parts that, you know, one, like the first one is we don't even really know exactly what the season will look like. I think more likely than not, it'll probably start in January. It'll be around eight games and they could potentially play it in domes um, throughout the Midwest. That seems like what has been reported is the most likely option. Um, but we don't know that for sure. The other aspect is, you know, what are they really playing for? I don't really, I don't, I don't totally know. Um, what happens if the SEC or ACC or Pat or um, big 12, um, what if one of those three conferences decides to, to, to pull the plug? Is there still a chance that these five conferences, the power five will all play a, a winter season? I think that that's still on the table. Um, I don't think you can rule anything out, even though we're, getting pretty close to seasons kicking off. Um, I think that there's just still a lot of moving parts that it's hard to really analyze exactly what it'll look like. Um, But I think, like, if I'm being honest, like, I think it can still be pretty fun for Ohio State fans. The thing that really, really sucks about it, though, and the thing that it's it's probably, if if this spring, if this winter season actually gets played, like, the thing that people will not be able to wrap their heads around for good reason is that, this should be arguably the best team that Ohio State's had in a long time. Um, and even if it's played in the winter, I don't think you can act. I don't, I don't think you could act. I don't think you could expect, you know, a Justin Fields or a Sean Wade to, to play just because it's, you know, winter season instead of a, a spring season. I think that, you know, certain players on Ohio State would opt out the same way that players across the Big Ten would. But, I still think it's interesting and, and I will still be excited for it to, to see what these guys would do, but that not being able to play for a national championship would be, you know, that's, that's just a bummer for, for a fan base and for a program that is, that's so used to that being the ultimate goal that they aim for every single season. And, and, you know, after last year's devastating loss to Clemson, you assume that everyone would be supremely motivated to get back there and to not even have that on the table would be, a bummer to put it lightly yeah I mean there's going to be a what could have been what should have been with this season for a long long time I think there's going to be a lot of people uh it's not going to be forgotten anytime soon uh no matter what happens if a winter or spring season that's not going to solve that but you know I mean if I I mean if I just be honest from my perspective I mean I 100% want a spring season because I I don't want to go a whole nother year uh, without any actual football to write about. And I mean, I mean, even if I was just a fan, I, I would think I would still want a spring season just because I'd want to watch the team play. I mean, I, I mean, I like football, you know, so it's like, I mean, I, I, I do think it could still be fun. I mean, I think from our perspective, if it happens to me, I think it's going to be fascinating because it's, it's unprecedented. It's like it's never been done before. So there's going to be a lot of different storylines 
that are a part of it just because it's, it's so different. And, you know, there are, I mean, there's probably going to be, you know, guys who don't play and different guys who play as a result. And, you know, I do, I mean, I think, I think it will be fascinating if it happens. And so, you know, I really hope it happens, you know, and, and I, I, I certainly understand why fans cannot get excited about it yet. I understand there might be some fans who, who don't get excited about it at all. I can say this, if it happens, we're going to cover it like it's a season. We're going to cover it the same way we would any other season. And I know there's going to be people in my Twitter mentions for the next nine months that anytime I write anything that isn't uh, critical of the big 10 or, or it, it, it is, is positive in any way that are just going to complain about, you know, how, how awful this is and, you know, they don't care, but I mean, we're going to care. I mean, we're, you know what I mean? You know, and I, I, you know, I know it's hard. I know it's hard because I, I, I do. I think the hard thing is if those other conferences are able to play, it's, it's going to be hard to shake this feeling of the big 10 acted too soon. The big 10 should have played, but on another sense, like I also think we've got to appreciate whatever we're going to get at this point, because we've learned now that, you know, these things can be taken away from us. These sports seasons that we take for granted can be taken away from us. So I would certainly be happier to get something rather than nothing. Yeah. And like, you know, who's still going to be playing for Ohio state? Like, I don't know. Uh, all those freshman wide receivers that everybody was super excited about, like potentially the entire offensive line that I thought, you know, going, I spent the entire summer saying, I think it's going to be the best offensive line in the country. I mean, you have a strong defense back. You have all those linebackers back who I imagine, you know, either all or the majority of them would play in the spring. You have a lot of guys on the defensive line who I think we've all been fascinated to see what they'll be like, you know, in, in a, in an increased role, like Zach Harrison and Tyree Smith, all those guys. And, you know, there's a lot to still be interested in. I think it might be too soon to, you know, go into actually figuring out, um, analyzing that aspect of it, but I, I'm, I'm still intrigued by it. Um, and I think it'll be fascinating. The one thing um, that, you know, will be hard to know is how many players would play in the, Jan in the season that starts in January, because to me, that's a lot different than a season that starts in late February or early March. Um, and, and whether that changes the minds of, you know, a Baron Browning, um, like Chris Olave, a Sean Wade, I don't really know. Um, I expect a few of those guys to sit out, but if, you know, if Chris Olave is catching touchdowns, like you, I don't know, that would still be fascinating to me if it's in February or if it's in you know, September. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll be honest, like, I don't know, but I'm, I think it's certainly realistic and it's probably where you should be to be skeptical about this whole thing because it's never been done before. I mean, the reality is there's still a pandemic still probably going to be happening in January. So if the idea behind this is it's going to be so much safer to play in January than it is now, this ain't going to work. Um, I'm honestly not sure if that's really exactly what it is. I, th I think part of it was, you know, I, I, I think, you know, because I, 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 I should put it like this. I think the NFL is going to play. I, I, at this point, I think those other conferences are probably going to play too. And I think if those conferences show it can be done, then the big 10 is going to make it happen. Uh, mm -hmm. You know I mean? Now, if those other conferences play and it's a disaster, then it might not happen. But I, yeah, I, I mean, 
to, to stop right there, like there are three options to me. Like one, these other conferences play and it's a disaster. The Big Ten probably doesn't play and also probably looks pretty good for not playing. If those other conferences play, they play it perfectly. Then, you know, it's not, you know, I'm sure everybody would have loved to play in the fall, but you can get a winter season in. It can be done. Or what if those other conferences don't even start and everybody plays in the winter? And, you know, Ohio State's on an equal playing field. And yes, it obviously everybody would love to play a normal fall season. But listen, folks, we're in a pandemic. Like, <laughs> we can all – everybody has sacrifices that, that they're making right now. And if everybody plays in the winter, I think that would be perfectly fine. So, like, in all these scenarios, I don't think that you have to worry about this big – the Big Ten imploding or something like that. I, I think the Big Ten will come out okay on this. Um I do think, you know, the, the, the scenario that's going to hurt hardest or hurt most is if the other conferences play a season, get through a fine, there aren't major outbreaks, a conference doesn't have to stop playing, something crazy like that. Um, but I still think even in that scenario, that scenario would probably lead to the Big Ten playing in the winter. And if they get through the fall, I see no reason why the Big Ten wouldn't be able to play a winter season. I think that, you know, long-term, everything's okay in the Big Ten, which is, you know, I feel like not the vibe that you get if you're just looking at, you know, online forums and social media right now. Yeah. It's weird because I think you have the least incentive. Like there's the least incentive to play maybe for the players. If it's in the winter, well, if it's in the winter and the other teams play in the fall, because then you don't have that college football playoff on the table. But I think that's also the scenario that makes it most likely the winter season actually happens because you know, if, if if everybody ends up having to postpone, then there's a chance we just do this all over again in the winter. But I think if those conferences show it can be done, the Big Ten is going to make it happen. I, you know, I, I think, you know, and this is where it's so hard. I mean, again, this is where it goes back to communication is that, you know, it really would have been good if those Power Five conferences were all aligned on this, but they weren't. You know, I think, you know, and I'll, I'll be honest, I, I think back on it now. I think back to July and when the Big Ten kind of went out in front of everybody and was a first-to-go conference only. And I defended Kevin Warren for that move at the time. I thought it was a good move for the Big Ten to get out in front of it at the time. Now, in hindsight, maybe it wasn't a good move because I think that pissed off the other conferences. And, you know, I think obviously we kind of saw in the end that the Big Ten was just going to kind of do its own thing. And, you know, I think there's some in the Big Ten that feel like, hey, you know, we're the Big Ten. We're just going to – we're going to do what we think is best regardless of what others do. But in this case, if the other, if the other teams get through a fall season successfully, uh, there's going to be a negative perception of the Big Ten. I don't – I mean, it, it's not going to just go away. I mean, there's, that perception's going to be there. I do agree – I do agree with Colin that it's not going to be – I don't think it's going to be the death of a Big Ten like some people think, but – you know, I, I do think that's definitely going to hurt if, if the Big Ten, you know, doesn't have that chance to compete for a national championship while other teams are. But I also think that it increases the chance of a winter season happening. And you know what? I think, you know, if there's a winter season, you, you've got to make the best of it. You know, I and I don't, you know, I, I think there are legitimate concerns about, you know, playing two seasons in one year and all that. And I, I do not discount that. I mean, I've heard it from enough people to think that that is a very real concern that players and coaches and their family are going to have. So I, I do not discount that one bit because I have never played football and I, I don't know the, the kind of toll that playing 
two college football seasons in one year would take on someone's body. So I, I do not discount those concerns at all, but I also think that I, I think the winter season is realistic. I think, I think there's enough time in between seasons. I mean, there'd be no spring practice after this. So obviously a season's going to take a lot bigger toll on your body than spring practice, but there, there would be a gap in between them. I, I think it is realistic to do this. And I think you have to make the best of it. You know, and if you, you know, and you, you know, teams might have to be, you know, teams might have to consider different things. You know, I, I mean, I could see, you know, especially if, you know, if, if Ohio State's playing in the Big Ten, you know, and they're, you know, blowing out teams like Rutgers and Maryland, I could see the starters maybe coming out really early in those games. You know, may, maybe, maybe guys play even less than they would in a normal season. And maybe you're getting your backups in even more just because you, you don't want to make your, your top players who are going to be back the next year who are going on to the NFL, you know, take the same number of reps that they would in, in a regular season. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's a way to make it work. And like I said on the last podcast, I mean, I think you, you have to try. No, I do too. Um, and, you know, speaking of trying and, you know, things being weird, we want to talk about the NCAA decision to um, have this year not count as a year of an athlete's eligibility for all, for all fall sports athletes. Um, when I had read that, like, I don't know about you, but like, it's pretty hard to even like process how many things are going to be affected by this. Colin's trying to copy me with the, the segues between segments there. I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn, Dan, I'm trying to learn. Is that okay? Did I do it? Yeah. Okay? Yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't bad. Um, I go for, wasn't bad. That's, that's a good answer. That one was a little, it, it was a little bit forced, but I, I think you made it work. I saw um, you smile. So I got a little nervous. <laughs> it's a little forced, but uh, it, it worked out fine. But getting back to what you were actually talking about in terms of, uh, the, the NCAA, you know, making that decision. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, there's a lot of ramifications to that. And I, I was honestly a little surprised if they made that decision as soon as they did. I mean, I, I actually commend them for making the decision when they did, because we, we've seen it. They typically kick the can down the road on these things and they typically stall and stall and stall. So I think it's good. They made that decision now because it allows, uh, especially the athletes who are in conferences that could be competing this fall. And then, you know, others who might, you know, decide to opt out at the spring, it allows them to make more informed decisions. So I think it is good that the NCAA made that ruling when it did. But there are a lot of ramifications from that because it, it, it's just too simple to look at it and say, you know, this is a great move by the NCAA to give those athletes back their eligibility, year of eligibility that they deserve. Because it, it's true, they do deserve that, you know, especially, you know, the, the seniors who are now facing the possibility of, not having a season or, you know, at best are going to have some kind of shortened non-traditional season. They do deserve that year of eligibility back, but they, this is going to have ramifications for five or six years because by giving everyone that year of eligibility back now, when you try to fit into scholarship limits down the line, there's going to be some, some numbers crunches here. If the, the NCAA did, decide that for next year, 2021, anyone who's currently a senior will not count against the cap. So teams will be, football teams will be allowed to go over 85 next year. But if you think ahead to 2022, if Ohio State has to get back to 85 scholarships at that point, and you've got now guys who are currently juniors, sophomores, freshmen, now all getting that extra year, 
how are those numbers going to work if you're also trying to bring in a full recruiting class in 2022? So I think it's going to get messy here down the line in, in terms of trying to make all these numbers work. If you have guys who are now playing for five or six years when they would have only been there for four or five, and you're still trying to bring in recruiting classes every year, uh, it's going to be a challenging balance that every team in college football is now going to have to deal with. It is. It's it's such a complicated um, problem, I would say, that there is no real simple answer. I think that's where some clarification from the NCAA is going to be needed, like, really soon like within the next week or two, because otherwise you're going to have people making decisions that will affect the next five or six years in ways that they don't really understand. Because to me, it's just so hard to imagine that everybody's going to get a year, an extra year of eligibility. And then the seniors won't count um, on the, in the scholarship counter for one year. And then that's the, the following year is supposed to be 85. I, that's literally impossible unless you're going to run off a lot of kids from a lot of programs. Um, and I don't know, it is, I don't think the NCAA wants to create a rule that forces teams to do that. But if you're going to, if, if you're going to implement that kind of rule, then that's what's going to happen. And the kids in the 2022 class who are you know, right now just rising juniors in high school, um, a lot of those players will going to, they're going to be spread across the country for the simple fact that, you know, if you're, if you have to get back to 85, then certain schools, you know, the high end schools are going to only have a few you know, spots remaining. And I, I think that it, it, it creates such an issue there to me, there just has to be some sort of smoothing mechanism where you don't immediately go back to 85. And I don't know the specific numbers that, that, that would be helpful, but there, that, to me, there absolutely has to be. Otherwise there's just going to be an off season of players getting cut. And, and that's, terrible and you uh, I don't think the NCAA can put itself in that position where teams have to do this they would have to um, I don't really see another alternative other than that other otherwise your other option is not bringing in you know a full recruiting class in 2022 and in that case down the line you're just going to hurt your own program because everything will be off balance and you won't have you know you'll be missing a senior class down the line um I, I, I think that this, this creates a lot of challenges, and it's up to the NCAA to fix them. And when I say it's up to the NCAA, that's a tough world to be in because I never like to say it's up to the NCAA because that is a very uncomfortable uh, – that's, that's an uncomfortable sentence. Yeah, and the variable that can't be forgotten here is, you know, I think from a competitive equity standpoint, it would be easy to just say, okay, just raise the scholarship limits until, until this year's over. and. You know, I, I think there's absolutely a way you can do that, you know, in terms of, you know, you know, I, I don't know exactly how you do it, but you can figure out, you know, okay, what the numbers might look like uh, over, you know, the next five years, what those extra scholarships would be. And you could give that money, that number of extra scholarships per year. I think there's a way you can do that, that it would work. Um, but I think there's going to be some pushback on that because, Schools are already tightening their belts. I mean, schools are already about to lose a ton of money this year. I mean, Ohio State, uh, we found out on Monday that Ohio State is, is losing $130 million in athletics revenue this year. And Ohio State's one of the schools that's most likely to come out of this okay compared to most other schools because, uh, you know, they, they, they do bring in so much revenue every year and, you know, they do have, you know, you know I think they, they're, you know, they're one of the athletic departments that in a typical year – comes out ahead that they're 
they're not subsidizing anything from the university or from students or all that there. They have a self-sustaining athletic department. So uh, Ohio State's probably going to come out of this better than most other schools, but the reality is every school is going to have to make some budget cuts over the next year. So for them to now suddenly have to give out more scholarships, I don't know if that's something that, you know, I think, you know, the bigger schools that are football powers might vote in favor of that, but I'm not sure that, you know, the smaller schools that aren't making money on football are going to be in favor of that. So I think that's a variable that, you know, has to be factored in here. And I, you know, I think another variable, I think regardless of scholarship numbers is I think this is going to lead to more transfers in general. And that might already be the case if a one-time transfer exception uh, gets passed next year as it's seemingly supposed to, but the other thing here is if you give everybody an extra year for a lot of guys, that means another year they're going to have to wait to see the field. If the guys in front of them uh, decide to come back for that extra year of eligibility. So I, I think that could lead to more transfers in itself. I mean, certainly could lead to more graduate transfers because you could have a lot more guys now who graduate and still have two years of eligibility. So I, I, I think, you know, I, I think there's going to be a lot of consequences to this. I don't know if it's fair to say unintended consequences, because I think they probably know what those consequences are. And I think they felt that, you know, given this year back of eligibility was simply the right thing to do. But I, I, I do think there's going to be some challenges created for this, which is why even though I, I do think it's good that those, you know, seniors – will get that opportunity to have another year if they want it. I'm not totally in, 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 on the side of saying this is a good thing. I, I'm really not because I, I just think that, you know, because the, the problem is it's not like you can just like stop recruiting for a year. It's not like you can just stop kids going from high school to college for a year. You know, I mean, you, you, it's also not like you just want to take a year out of these kids lives. And, you know, you think about a lot of other sports, like I think in a lot of the smaller sports where kids aren't necessarily focused on becoming professional athletes, I think a lot of them probably aren't going to come back anyway, just like we saw in the spring, because they're just going to say, you know, they got to move on and, and start their lives outside of college. Uh, so, you know, I think in a lot of those smaller sports, you might not see guys, you know, even come back, but I think in a sport like football, you know, you know, you are going to definitely have some guys who that extra year could help them. Uh, I think there's definitely going to be some guys who that extra year helps them. But I think there's also going to be guys that it hurts. And I think for teams, I think it just adds a, a really challenging variable that is going to make roster management uh, a challenge for the next really five years. Yeah, if we're going to talk about like which players on Ohio State's roster are most likely to benefit from this and, and the fact that maybe a sixth year would help. Like, that's crazy to, to even really say that. But if we're going to project, like, this probably doesn't affect the quarterbacks. In fact, I'm going to drop probably. This won't affect the quarterbacks. This probably won't affect running backs. It probably won't affect a lot of the skill positions. When, I, when, I, when I'm looking about how this affects, um, like, an Ohio State, I think that there is some incentive to, to linemen on both sides of the ball, but especially on the offensive side of the ball, sticking around for, for an extended period of time. I mean, you just brought in a class that had Jacob James, Josh Fryer, Trey LaRue, and Grant Toutant, all of whom were three-star prospects, um, most of whom are looked at as developmental players. And, you know, 
I think the idea with a lot of those guys is maybe in their fourth or fifth year they contribute. Now it's fourth, fifth, or sixth year they contribute. Um, And, you know, that'll be an interesting thing to watch. I I don't get the vibe, though, that, you know, all of a sudden Ohio State's roster is going to become overrun by six-year seniors. Um, I just don't think that that'll happen. And also, like, everybody on this roster wants to get to the NFL as quickly as possible. So I'm not – I don't know if that'll, you know, all of a sudden players maybe have to wait an extra year to start and they jump to the NFL after one year. I don't know what that'll really look like um, when it's all said and done. But I do think that the ultimate goal won't change for these players. Um, So I don't really expect there to be a lot of guys who we look down the line and like, oh, my God, this guy's a six-year senior? That would surprise me. Um, I'm sure there will be a few. Um, and I would be fascinated to see if Justin Hilliard plays his seventh year at Ohio State. Uh, but because that, that, that would legitimately I'd be surprised. Be amazing. I'd be I surprised. would also be surprised. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't know that Ohio State's affected maybe in, in that manner, even though it's, you know, a fun thing to think about. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think you're going to see a ton of six-year guys because, I mean, first of all, uh, you know, I, I, I think – most of the guys who are going to be six years would be guys who have already redshirted at this point. Because I think the guys who are yeah. freshmen now, this is going to serve as their redshirt year. Maybe like a few of those offensive linemen, maybe because you just might not be able to get them on, on the field necessarily. Maybe mm-hmm. they would take that redshirt. But, you know, the vast, you know, the, the vast majority of his freshman class, this is a free redshirt year for them. You know, they're not going to redshirt after this. They're, they, you know, they're, they're going to be you know, on a five-year plan at, at max um, because, because they got to keep the numbers moving. So uh, I, I think, you know, very few guys in this freshman class, uh, you know, anybody who hasn't, I think anybody who hasn't redshirted yet, you know, this is your redshirt year, unless you have an injury that knocks you out for a year, you're, you're not going to redshirt in the future because yeah, you're getting a free one this year. But I, I you know, on that vein, I, I think the guys who I look at that I think it could help is I think the guys we've talked about in the past that we said maybe they should have taken a redshirt year. I look at a guy like a Marcus Williamson, who's a senior right now, who really hasn't played much. That's a guy who I think could really benefit from having two more years at Ohio State instead of one. I look at the, the three junior linebackers, Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gantt, Kayvon Pope. Those are guys that I think we've all kind of thought maybe they should have redshirted a year because they've been stuck behind those linebackers. Now, and I, I'm going on the assumption of, those four senior linebackers, I don't think any of them will be back next year. Even with that extra year of eligibility, uh, I don't think any of them will be back. I think Tough, Pete Warner, Baron Browning, Justin Hilliard, don't know what they'll do about the spring, but I think they're all going to the NFL after this year. So now guys like Taraja, Dallas Gantt, Kayvon Pope, now they could potentially have two years to start instead of one. I look at a guy like Dewan Jones, who we were surprised didn't redshirt last year and I think wondered, okay, you know, there's a chance that he doesn't, you know, get in the starting lineup in four years. I think for him getting that extra year, you know, some guys, you know, guys like Paris Johnson and, you know, Nicholas Petit-Frere that are also kind of competing for those spots. You know, some of those guys are going to move through the program now. I think this increases the likelihood that he gets a shot to start by the time his Ohio State career is over. So I think those are, you know, those are the kind of guys that I look at that could benefit most. And, you know, I, I think the other benefit of it is for those freshmen, you don't have to worry about redshirt and those guys this year. So I think back on all our debates that we had about CJ Stroud and Jack Miller, well, that's irrelevant. Now uh, there, this is going to be a free year for both of them. So uh, you don't have to worry about that anymore. 
And I mean, let's be honest, if Justin Fields doesn't play, you might need both of those guys to play a lot, but you know, you can do that now. You can, you can play any of those freshmen as much as you want without having to worry about redshirting this year. So I think that's the other benefit of it is that it's essentially a free redshirt for guys and you can play them as much as you, you want. But, you know, I think, you know, certainly those freshmen, you know, this is going to be the redshirt year. I think other than maybe, like you said, a few of those offensive linemen who I think would not play uh, for a few years. I think other than that, you know, this is the redshirt year and you'd still look at them being, you know, five years at Ohio state max. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's weird. It's hard to wrap your head around. And, and in all honesty, like since it's going to affect Ohio state and everybody else for half a decade, hard to really project that much you can only you really can just speculate well, I just think back to like I think back to how confusing it always is because like Ohio State never updates the years on its website of like who's a red shirt and who's not and now we've got to add this into it like what are we even going to call guys like what are we what are we going to call guys that are already a red like I guess you're just going to have to say you know you know fifth year junior fourth year sophomore but that uh, third year red shirt freshman I mean that just that just sounds so weird, but like it, it, it is, it's, it's really going to be five years at least until this gets back to normal in terms of the numbers. So uh, it, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be something that's going to take a bit to adjust to, I think. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't make sense, but what in 2020 has ever made sense? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a thing. It's like, it's a fun thing to debate and yet in the grand scheme of things, it still feels like a pretty small thing considering. Yeah, because it is, but listen, that's, that's what we do on this podcast. We're a football we, podcast. We talk about so. small things. And we're going to have to talk, we're going to have to talk about some small things over the next five, five months. But speaking of things that are not small in the world of Ohio state football, it's always recruiting season uh, at Ohio state. So, we're going to bring in our 11 Warriors recruiting analyst, Zach Carpenter, and, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about how this, all of this affects Ohio State recruiting and, uh, you know, who maybe some of the guys are that uh, we could see committing to the Buckeyes pretty soon. Zach, kind of, kind of what have you gathered the last two weeks on kind of how this whole situation is affecting Ohio State's recruiting efforts? Well, Recruiting is already a weird world, like we've talked about a lot before, and this whole entire situation is, is making it 10 times weirder. Um, not going to be able to have those impactful game day visits, which is something that uh, I've written about before. And I know, I mean, there's, there's some negative effects that the Big Ten canceling the season is going to have on Ohio State. I think a lot of those are more short-term than long-term, like it's not going to negatively affect, affect the program for like five or 10 years or anything like that. I think that's hyperbole, but I mean, similar to how recruiting rankings are put together by two, four, seven sports and rivals and those networks, I think Ohio state's coaches are going to be, have to be, they're going to have to be more granular in their approach and um, focus on uh, past seasons films. I mean, much, much harder, more, more focus on that um, film and character evals are going to be, are going to take up even more importance uh, this time around until coaches can actually go out and, uh, and see some of these guys. And um, it's also not being able to see some of these guys in person. It's kind of making Ohio state rethink its stance a little bit on, we need to see this guy in person in order to take him in the class. I mean, you've already seen that with Desan McCullough 
um, who tried, he wanted to commit back in June, but he couldn't because they said, no, we, we need to see you in person. We want to, we want to meet you before we uh, decide to take you. So there's um, sort of making Ohio state rethink its approach uh, in that regard. You've seen that with uh, a potential commit this week and Tyleek Williams, who, um, I don't believe that they've seen in person, or at least he hasn't visited Ohio State yet. Uh, and I think you're going to see that happen with at least one or maybe two more guys here in the near future, especially in the 2022 class. What do you think are the biggest questions that Ohio State needs answers to right now in terms of continuing to recruit during this tumultuous time? I mean, there's almost countless questions, so I wouldn't – I wouldn't even be able to get to them all, but I, there's whether this whole spring eligibility for 2021 early enrollees to me, that's the big, one of the biggest ones. Uh, it's what is that going to look like? Is it going to be approved for early enrollees to get on the field um, as official Ohio state players? What's that going to look like? Are they going to be able to get two games in four games in? Um, will you only be eligible for the second half of the season? Once you've been in the program a few months, will you get the full season? Um, and immediate eligibility for transfers. Is that, what's that going to look like? What are red shirts going to look like? Um, will the big 10 finally show some leadership and give answers to, to the parents of recruits so that they can at least have something to go off of, um, so that they can be more comfortable potentially coming into the program. There's, there's so many unknowns and unanswered questions that it just makes everything 10 times harder for parents to know to have more clear answers so if we look at just this 21 class I mean it's it's interesting in one aspect where I feel like we've just been talking about the same guys for I mean since the pandemic hit but when the pandemic hit it feels like that began what like five or six years ago so it just feels (laughs) like this has been constant over time but you know as we sit here today um, late in August where do you think – who do you think Ohio State is, is, is sitting with best? When you, when you look at those top guys, like a JT and a Mecca, Buka, uh, Tristan Lee, all those guys. Yeah, I mean, the number one guy, I think they have the best relationships – or best relationship with the Mecca, Buka, and his family and his coaches. I still think that's probably the – if I was going to put a confidence meter on, on one, I mean, there's still a lot to be worked out there, but a Mecca is – um, I would say probably their top guy they have the best relationships with. JT, Tua Malau, um, great relationship with Larry Johnson. Um, but he's another guy he needs – they need to see him. I, that's the other question is they need to see these guys in person, but doesn't look like they're going to be able to for a long time. Um, and maybe you see JT end up doing what Bennett Christian did a couple weeks ago and somehow getting out to Ohio State to see campus on his own dime. Um, but it is a lot of the same guys. You have Derek Davis, um, Tristan Lay, uh, Barrett Carter they still have good relationships with, even though um, it's looking more and more like that um, That possibility is out the window. So it is still a lot of the same guys. Um, and then I know there's another one, uh, another guy on the radar, Daryl Peterson, who Ohio State's been talking to a little bit more um, lately. So – Again, though, still a lot of the same guys that we've been hearing about, like you said, for for months and what feels like five years over the course of this pandemic. What do you – I mean, one of the interesting things about this is, you know, we're probably going to live in a world where 
players can't take visit high school prospects can't take visits to college campuses at least for the rest of the year and who knows if that drags into January or February or whatnot and, and all of these players are going to have to sign without having been able to take visits between March and whenever they sign I, I, that's a potential world we live in if that maybe causes Ohio State to, to not be able to close on some guys what do you think the challenge is going to be to fill out the rest of the class? Because I think that that's, that's one of the interesting areas of, of what Ohio State has right now is, is when they set themselves up earlier in the cycle, they, they set themselves up to take some big swings at some guys. And, uh, and it seems like they might connect on some guys. Like you mentioned, Egbuka, it seems like at the moment, Ohio State's in a good spot for them. But what if you know, the inability to get JT back on campus – all of a sudden you can't land someone like him or that, that five-star offensive tackle that you really want to close this class out. All of a sudden you don't have that. What do you think Ohio State does at that point? And, and, and is, that a, is that a significant issue? Or is the fact that you've loaded up your class with nearly 20 guys already, if you want to take those you know, one, two, or three guys who maybe you haven't seen in, a lot of, in, in many months since, I don't know, back in the winter, um, is, that, is that a problem or not? See, like you said, like you're hitting on there at the end of they've already loaded up on so many on so many four and five stars. And this is something, Colin, I think you've talked about um, in a podcast before is when you do so when you get so much work done early and get the bulk of your main targets, it kind of allows you to to take some pressure off of yourself as a program almost of we can wait on these guys like JT and Tristan Lay and Emeka um, to see what their decision is. And then there's not usually uh, – there's ob- there's always a backup plan, but it's not like Ohio State is going to be trying to fill the class just with bodies. They still are going to be filling um, with guys that they believe down the road could end up making an impact and actually being Ohio State-worthy players. And I know – that um, someone I've talked about before that I'm still not um, quote unquote giving up on uh, landing in Ohio State's class is a guy like uh, Najee Story from uh, from um, Solon. I know Solon, that. Yeah. he's a Northeast Ohio. Guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's committed to Northwestern. He has been for a few months, but I've, that's a guy who um, you have an in-state guy like that who has an Ohio State offer already um, could potentially wind up in the class down the road if Ohio State loses out on guys like JT or Tywin Malone and says, all right, well, um, we, we like you, we like your potential, but, and now that we've missed out on some of those top guys, maybe they end up pursuing him a little harder. Yeah. And I think that that's where generally Ohio State has thrived over the years. If they get that kind of guy like a Najee story or, or like you'd mentioned earlier, Daryl Peterson into camp, and then you see what they do. And then, you know, if you miss on that five-star guy that you want, you can still take a guy you feel pretty good good with. And I think back to, you know, last year when they had Luke Lachey and Joe Royer in at tight end, what they essentially did is they brought him into camp and, you know, Joe, Joe Royer had the better day and he got the offer and it's down Ohio State Buckeye. Um, I always think that that's a fascinating thing that Ohio State won't do right now or won't have the ability to do right now. But, Zach, if you look ahead for at least a moment, I think – you know, Kyle McCord has been in the class for seemingly forever, and you've had your, your idea of what the 2021 quarterback situation looks like. But if you look ahead to 2022, I mean, that's a position that's, one, it's interesting because Corey Dennis might have to 
land a 2022 commit without ever having seen them throw the ball in person. Um, where are they at in terms of quarterbacks right now? Um, and, and, you know, is this, a, is this just an uncomfortable spot to be in and sort of just one of those natural things that is going to be an issue just because of the pandemic? Yeah, like you said, I mean, quarterback recruiting for Ohio State, any program really, but I know um, Ryan Day really wants to see his quarterbacks throw in person. So without having that ability, it makes that recruiting that that position specifically a lot harder. And they only have – right now they only have four quarterback offers extended out, and two of those guys have committed already. Um, Quinn Ewers and Gunnar Stockton have already chosen Texas and South Carolina respectively. So you only have Malik Murphy and uh, Steven Angeli with um, with offers right now. And I think um, I, there, I don't believe that they're as high on Angeli um, as they were when Mike Yersich originally offered him. So you're almost looking at only one target right now who has an offer. So I'm really interested to see over the next weeks, months, who gets offered, when when they get offered, if it's – going to be in-state guys that or Midwest guys that they may, be, may be more comfortable with or more familiar with. So quarterback recruiting, yeah, interesting, but we're going we're gonna to see here hopefully in the next few months. While we're talking about that 2022 class, I think one of the big questions I have right now is uh, we talked before about the uh, eligibility uh, rule that the NCAA passed this last week and in, in giving – uh, everyone who's currently on the roster, an additional year of eligibility. And if you look at the way they did that, for 2021, it's not going to be a big issue because they've decided that the current seniors won't count against the cap next year. But if you look ahead to 2022, if Ohio State has to get back to 85 scholarships for 2022, that could create a scholarship crunch. How much of an impact do you think that's going to have on Ohio State's recruiting efforts for that 2022 class? Well, it's huge, and I don't think that you're going to see them. I don't. I don't think that they're going to substantially uh, decrease their number of offers. Um, I'm sure they will. They'll decrease it somewhat, but it's not. I don't think it would be anything substantial. And you've already seen offers go out to 2022 kids uh, over the past week because you still want to cast a wide net, so to speak. But I do think that you could potentially see them take a, a much smaller class around. 20 or even the high teens or something like that, maybe um, more similar to that 2017 or the 2019 class that had 17 commitments. So, I mean, there's going to be an impact and we're just, we're going to have to sort of wait and see um, to see how the numbers shake out. They've got five commits for that class right now. It does sound like, you know, maybe a couple more are coming, you know, maybe if that tight end position, I know there's a couple guys who you think are pretty likely to end up at Ohio State. Yeah, so obviously with getting to Sam McCullough in there, which we hit on earlier, um, they finally uh, took him without seeing him. They bypassed sort of their in-person in person rules. So they got him. And like I said, I think you might see one or two in the near future um, where they go that route as well, having not met them in person and. Uh, Bennett Christian, he's got a decision. He's uh, announcing a week from today, and he's down to Tennessee and Ohio State. He just visited Tennessee uh, this past weekend, but even after that visit, even with his dad being a former defensive end at Tennessee, I still I still really love Ohio State's chances of, of Bennett Christian being their first tight end commitment in the 2022 class. 
And since we're on tight ends, they're almost certainly going to be pushing their two tight end goal back to the 2022 cycle. And Benji Gosnell, um, he released his final three on Saturday of Ohio State, North Carolina, and Florida, and spoke with him and um, get the sense that we could see him make a decision toward the end of September, maybe early October, if he's able to do something similar to what uh, Bennett did of getting to Ohio State um, on his own dime to kind of catch, get a feel for the campus and everything like that. I know he said it would be really hard for him to get down to Florida. Say he's been to more to North Carolina more times than he can count. So it's like, he's like, I really don't need to visit there again. So Ohio State is kind of that priority um, for him to visit. As he said, Ohio State is, he said he's comfortable enough saying that's, uh, that Ohio State is, is his top school. So at this point, there's still some things to be worked out, but I'm feeling uh, pretty confident that uh, of Ohio State's chances there. And then um, in the 2021 cycle, the cat kind of got let out of the bag last night uh, that Tyleek Williams, it's basically, he's making an announcement on Thursday and it's, it, we're just playing the waiting game, kind of waiting that out before he makes it official. So um I'm pretty confident that they're going to be adding some booms here uh, in the in the very near future. There's nothing more exciting than two tight ends and a nose tackle, let me tell you. Yeah. That really gets the people going. <laughs> Big booms. We, no, uh... but it, it is um, – the Tyreek Williams one is, is, is fascinating to me because – like, when I look at the big names still on, o- on Ohio State's radar for the 21 class, it's JT, whose last name I'm get- not going to pronounce for the rest of the time. It's Emeka Egbuka, it's Tristan Lay, it's Derek Davis, um, it's Tywin Malone, and it's Jagger Burton. And if we look at that list, like, what do you set the over-under at guys who you think that they'll get? Is it at two? Is it at one and a half? Is it two and a half? Like, it's not like four or five. You're not really expecting – to land all those guys. Um, so I think it's at, I think it's interesting to me to see a guy like Tylee Williams, you know, it's almost like he's a plan B for them, but he's a nearly a top 150 guy. And Dan, I know we've talked about this a lot. I feel like we've just been on the front lines of this. They really needed this position, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, they, they really did because uh, if you look at the roster right now, uh, they've got, they've got Tommy Togiai. Uh, as their next nose tackle, but you look behind him, there's just not, there's not really many other uh, true nose. Yeah, I mean, there's Antoine Jackson, who's a fifth-year senior, could be a six-year senior, uh, but other than him, there just really isn't anybody, so I think that was uh, their their biggest uh, position of need remaining in that class of 2021, and, and maybe kind of explains why a, a Tyleek Williams kind of came out of nowhere this week as, as a potential commitment. Uh, because maybe you know not a guy who's quite as highly touted as some of these other names we're talking about in 2021 but a guy who I think really fits an important uh, spot for them in that class were there any of those guys Zach when I talk about like a Jagger Burton a Tylen Malone Derek Davis Tristan Lay if we just look at that foursome do you do you think any of those four end up at Ohio State and, and who maybe do you feel best about right now as we sit here today knowing that most of those guys will probably make their decision without ever being able to check out Ohio State again. Yeah, I was kind of uh, hoping you were going to ask that question because that's been going through my mind as well, kind of playing the in-or-out game. And you said what would be the over-under on those six guys, like one-and-a-half, two-and-a-half. And back in back in April when Ohio State was the hottest recruiting team in the country, we probably would have set it at three-and-a-half for those guys. 
Um, I think the over-under would probably be two and a half, and I would go under right now um, when we're looking at just those six guys because um, you got to feel really good about Emeka, and I still feel fairly good about JT um, at this point. Uh, so I would, if I'm looking at those six guys, I'm saying in for those two guys. But Derek Davis, I'm, I'm starting to get a sense that he's more leaning toward Penn State. Uh, Tristan Lay, um, it's either it sounds like it's moving toward LSU, um, LSU or potentially even Alabama. Jagger Burton sounds like he's uh, more of a Kentucky lean right now, and Tywin Malone, I'm not. Have, apparently, the news hasn't been exactly ecstatic coming out of that coming out of his camp and maybe that is a reason why you see them take uh take a guy like Tyleek Williams after losing um to Miche Adelia even though he's a defensive he was a defensive end but he still had the ability to kick inside as a three technique so um yeah when I'm when I'm looking at those guys I say two in four out you mentioned Alabama so I'm going to ask you to call your shot who's going to have a number one class of 2021 Ohio State or Alabama I I'm going Alabama with a confidence meter of six. I still, I just, there's so much, so much emphasis on getting, you're going to have to at least, you're going to have to probably get JT and Emeka and then at least one more of Derek, one more of those four other guys who um, I'm predicting is out right now. So I, I think it's going to be, it's going to be one of those neck and neck battles. That's like thrilling for us recruiting writers, but uh that race for the recruiting crown. So I'm, I'm going, I'm picking out Alabama. I'm sticking to it. Yeah, My, I mean, go ahead, Colin. I was going to say that's, that's sort of the lean that I would go to, to at this point, when you just look at that board, when we run down those yeah. names, you feel good. You feel really good about one guy, like decently good about the other. And then the other four, you're like, uh, I think Ohio state might be on the outside looking in at the moment. So I think it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it finishes because like for years, it was like Willard Meyer win the recruiting crown. And this was the year it felt like and that Ryan Day would finally do what Urban Meyer couldn't. And like this class, if they don't even add any of those six guys, will still be awesome. But mm-hmm. to look up and see Alabama at one would still, like, that would still be disappointing for a lot of Ohio State people because, like, yes, this doesn't mean anything. Like, if we're going to talk about who has the number one or number two class, these classes are both going to be awesome. But, like, as Urban Meyer used to say, like, if they're going to if they're gonna rank stuff, Ohio State wants to be number one. And, like, they still have a chance to get that. And I think that's why it's going to be so fascinating going down the stretch run. Well, don't, don't say it doesn't matter because I, I hype it up. I hype up the recruiting crown quite a bit. So, matters to me, but the average normal fan, it doesn't. <laughs> Got a high school football starting up this week, Zach. I know, I think all three of us are going to be planning on trying to go to as many games as we can since, uh, unfortunately, we don't have Ohio State games to go to this fall. Uh, Who are one or two guys, Zach, that you're planning to go watch this fall that you're really looking forward to go see play? Yeah, it sounds like we're all going to be high school sports reporters here for a little bit uh, in the fall. But my my two guys, uh, I'm looking at just in-state Ohio guys um, and – I put it as either Reed Carrico and Mike Hall are the top two guys I want to go see. But no, my number one is Reed Carrico because I've never seen him play. Um, and just the fact that he's that star on both sides of the ball, um, I just and the fact that he's improved so much from over the last year, over the last two years. I, I'm putting him as the top slot, but 
uh, now I need to know what, which, uh, which players, which commits are you guys are most excited to go see. Colin, you want to start? I, I mean, for me, because I'm in Northeast Ohio, I think, I think Brennan Vernon is my answer for mentor, just because when you hear people say that he's the next five-star defensive end from Ohio State, and he's already – he's in the class of 2023, um, and I graduated in 2013, so that's like – it gets a little weird when you're talking about a guy who's 10 years younger than you. But uh, when he's supposed to be the next Joey Bosa, Chase Young, that kind of level, and he's that young, yeah, I, I want to see. I want to see what he's got. Yeah, I mean, I got to admit, even though I've already seen him play, I'm pretty disappointed that Jack Sawyer's not playing just because, you know, be, being here in Central Ohio, I was looking forward to, you know, seeing him play again in high school. But uh, I, I think a couple guys that I'm, I'm hoping to go get to see this fall, uh, Jaden Ballard's a guy that I definitely would like to go see up at Maslin. Uh, I think that, you know, he, he's a guy that's uh, going to be fun to watch. And, you know, a guy I think maybe next Devin Smith type uh, playing at the same school, kind of look forward to seeing him. And uh, CJ Hicks is another guy I'm, I'm hoping to go see this fall. Uh, we've seen him really rise up the rankings recently. Uh, he, he's a guy I'm looking forward to going to see when I can get a chance. Yeah, and I have to back up because I've seen Jack play. I've seen Jaden play, CJ. Um, I've seen most of the Ohio State commits play, so the like in actual game action. So uh, I'm trying – hopefully I'm trying to get the guys I haven't seen. And of the guys I haven't, it'd be Reed and Mike or my one-two. Well, Zach, I – Thank you so much for joining us on uh, this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. It's always a, a pleasure to talk to you and get your insight on recruiting. And uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again this fall because uh, without, without any actual games happening, uh, recruiting is always going to be at the forefront of the conversation. Yeah, we're all high school sports reporters and recruiting writers for the foreseeable future. But all right, thanks for having me on, boys. It's, uh, it's good to talk to you guys again. And we want to thank Zach once again for joining us here on the show. Always good to get his recruiting insight. It is, it is. Um, you know, I, I think we're probably going to have him on. This will not be the only time that we have him on. I don't know how frequently we'll have him on, but listen, Zach, I know you're a listener, so we're going to have you back. Like, like he said, like we all said, I mean, there's going to be a, a lot of recruiting coverage from all of us. We're all going to be, uh, you know, covering – you know, I know we're going to be covering some high school football games. I mean, I don't, I don't think we're going to be breaking down, you know, uh, high school records and standings and, and playoff brackets and all that on this show. But uh, I think certainly uh, recruiting is going to be a bigger emphasis and, and, and we're going to have to get creative. Uh, we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to have to talk about, uh, you know, maybe we'll talk about how guys are doing in the NFL. Maybe we'll talk about other things as always. If you guys have ideas, uh, let us know because uh, we're open to, you know, being creative and, and talking about some different things here. Cause I mean, we've, we've been saying that for the last five months, uh, the next five months are going to be even weirder. So uh, we're going to be uh, open to just about uh, anything. Uh, certainly looking for creative ideas. Yeah. If we're talking about creative ideas, listen, this, the name of our next segment just really just screams creativity, doesn't it? <laughs> Three things we think. Yeah. Really straight to the point. Dan, over the last two weeks, I guess, what are, what are, what's the first thing that you've thought about? The first thing I've thought about is let's stop trying to boil this decision of a Big Ten made down into one thing or what, whatever fits your agenda because this is an extremely complex situation. And 
I think there's a lot that goes into it. And I don't, I don't, I don't deny some of the things out there that people think might have influenced this decision. You know, might this decision have been influenced by Big Ten and Pac-12 players uh, making demands and, and, and calling for, you know, more rights? Maybe. Was this, uh, was this decision influenced by legal liability and, 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 you know, schools being worried about lawsuits that could come down the line? I'm sure. I mean, we obviously know, I mean, you, you, there's, there's people who say, well, this, this decision wasn't about health and safety. Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, this decision was about health and safety, whether you agree with the decision. I'm not, again, I'm not saying that was the sole factor. It, it, it probably wasn't, but you can't, the people who say it wasn't about health and safety. I mean, I don't think there's any question that that was a factor in this decision. Uh, if schools weren't worried about that factor of it, there's no way they're giving up the kind of money that they're giving up uh, to not play a season. Uh, so I think that was a factor, but you know, I'm open to the fact that there were other factors. You know, I don't think, I don't think that this decision was made solely because of politics. I've, I've seen that one out there. I think that's ridiculous. I'm not going to get into the actual politics of it, but you know, I, I think that's ridiculous. Um, you know, I think, there's a lot of factors that probably went into us. And the reality is we don't know exactly what went into it because the Big Ten is not being transparent about it. So I totally understand why there's so many different, you know, theories about out there and why people are skeptical behind the actual reasons of it. But I also think if you're going to be a reasonable person about this, you need to accept this is a complex situation. There was not an easy answer. And to try to simply boil it down into, you know, being a result of politics or being all a result of some suspicious or nefarious reason. I, I think that's totally oversimplifying something that's an extremely complex situation and something that quite frankly remains a very serious pandemic because over 170,000 people have died in America. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it wouldn't have been safe to play college football this fall, but that's not something that we can just ignore when we're having this conversation. Yeah, you would. Um, yeah. I mean, I agree with a lot of what you said. It's, I mean, one of my things that, you know, was a runner up on one of the things that I think is like, go back to Aaron Rodgers, R-E-L-A-X, relax. Like there are, there are, there are things to be mad about that are legitimate. But I think a lot of people recently in the last week or so have maybe crossed the line into like, all right, guys, I understand that, 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 that a lot of this isn't fair. A lot of this is still remains unanswered. But in our search for answers, let's 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 make sure we look at who we're retweeting. Let's make sure we realize what is real and what isn't real. Um, let's let's just rein it in a little and try to keep everything in a perspective. Because I think maybe a little bit recently, um, it's beginning to get a little bit out of hand. But again, I understand why. I mean, Ohio State football is a gigantic deal. I just think when I'm seeing gateway pundit articles getting thrown out there, I mean, we, we can, we can chill out a little bit, but yeah. And I think, I think this morning as before we recorded, I think uh, one of the things people were mad about on the internet was that intramural sports were going to play. And I think our, uh, our friend Bill Landis from the athletic did a little bit of reporting and, and determined that was not true, but intramural sports are not playing. Uh, got a lot of so, people mad. I mean, yeah, I think Mark, Mark Pantone's out there quote tweeting that. I mean, yeah, and, 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 yeah. 
I understand it. I understand it because people are upset. And I think when you're upset, you tend to believe whatever it is that maybe, you know, maybe whatever fits your theories or, you know, you, you, I think when you're upset about something, you're not necessarily thinking rationally about something. You're going to be more inclined to believe things that just make you more mad. But I do, I mean, I do, I think, you know, I, I think we all need to try to take a deep breath here. And we, and we, we try to, you know, you know, we need to try to wait for some of the facts to come out about these things. And so, you know, some things, the facts might never come out, unfortunately, but you know, I, I think we need to, you know, try not to jump to conclusions over every little thing that we see out there because uh, I know it sucks. I know it sucks, but some of these things are not going to change anything, <laughs> you know, finding out that, you know, some, you know, governor or Senator made a comment that was tangentially related to the, the big Ten's decision to cancel football that they were not a part of is not the reason why the big 10 is not playing football and it's not going to change anything. Uh, that they said it. All right. My first thing that I've been thinking about is um, when I look at this coaching staff right now, like they have some powerhouse recruiters and I've just sort of like, I've known about the, this obviously, but when I look at the top line guys and I really do think that there's a separation here because um, I think there are some guys on the staff who are involved in recruiting but they're not really they're not they're not the guys who are trusted to go out there and land the five stars. But when I think about you have Ryan Day, who was one of Ohio State's best recruiters, arguably its best recruiter back when he was an assistant coach. He's the head coach. You have Larry Johnson. No words need to be said there. You have Kerry Combs, who is just bringing in first round pick after first round pick at cornerback. You have Brian Hartline, who only recruits five stars and top one hundred wide receivers. And now you have Al Washington, who I think is he's beginning to he's beginning to be the be the recruiter that I think a lot of people expected that he would once he gets to Ohio State. And when you have those guys leading your recruiting operations that Mark Pantone's obviously uh, a key and in, involved in heavily, like that is those are some powerhouses. And I think that there's a reason why Ohio State, you know, is in the mix for so many top-end guys still and, and and why they have such a heralded class at the moment is because, you know, up up and down, I think the coaching staff is impressive. But at the top, these top-line recruiters, I mean, Ohio State might have five of the best 10 or 15 recruiters in the country on its coaching staff. I, I really do think that. And I think Al Washington's rising. You have Tony Alford. He brought in two top 100 backs who I haven't even really mentioned yet. Kevin Wilson's a former head coach. Greg Madison, you know, people talked about his recruiting a lot about, you know, when he came to from from Michigan to Ohio State. And, you know, maybe he hasn't been deployed after, you know, many five stars yet, but I still think he's an important piece. And then you have um, Matt Barnes, who was, you know, involved in, in the Jansen Dunn flip. I guess we can call it a flip <laughs> from Oklahoma, a one-hour flip. Um, but I just think at the top end of this staff, and these recruit every time they land one of these big recruits, I just take a step back and I think, wow, there is there is a lot of coaching recruiting talent at the top of this thing. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think you know, I think that was important. You know, I think I think that's what Ryan Day needed to do when he came in and built his staff because he had never been a head coach before. So I think it was so vital for him to be able to bring in elite recruiters, and I think that's what he did. You know, right from the jump, and then you know proving he can do it again when you lose a Jeff Halfley who was 
you know, in just one year proved he could be an elite recruiter. You replace him with a Kerry Combs, who was also an elite recruiter. So I think, you know, that was such an important part of building that first staff for Ryan Day is bringing in guys who could kill it on the recruiting trail. And so far, you know, that that's been the case. Dan, what's the second thing you've been thinking about? I mean, I, I, I think the ACC, Big 12, and SEC are going to play. And I think I'm not as convinced as I would have been a couple months ago that it's going to be a disaster. Because I just look around and see, you know, what's happening in these pro sports leagues. And obviously, this is a different situation than, you know, the NBA or the NHL, where guys are in a bubble. But I look at what's happening in the NFL, NFL right now, where – you know, they're a week into training camp, at least at this point. And there's been very, very few positive tests that really once, you know, they've got gotten these, you know, players, you know, tested and, you know, in the buildings, there's been very few positive tests. And now granted, there, there are additional variables that come with being in a college environment. And, and I, and I, and I do think we have to see how these things play out, but I, I think it can be done. I'm, I'm becoming increasingly confident that it can be done. And I don't think that's what most people listening to this podcast want to hear because I think it makes you wonder, you know, why the Big Ten pulled the plug when it did. But, you know, it, it felt like two weeks ago. It felt like, you know, we were just on an avalanche of momentum toward everyone canceling. And then it seems like when the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12 said, we're going to play, it seems like that – it really just kind of came to a halt. And it seems like since then things have kind of leveled off and those conferences are, are proceeding forward toward playing. And I think, you know, we've also kind of moved past the guise of we need students on campus to play, because I think we've seen several schools in these conferences now have sent their students home and they're still planning to play. So I think these conferences are going to find a way to make it work. I'm not saying there aren't going to be issues because I think there will be, but I, I think these conferences are moving toward being able to actually have seasons. And if I was betting on it right now, I, I'd bet on them playing. Yeah, so would I. You know what's funny, though, is like I feel like we're doing these podcasts and then a week later one of us says something. We, we make a claim. That, that one might of us not thinks, age well. Yeah, one of us has a comment that won't age well. I'm not saying that you're wrong because I think if, like, you made me put odds on it, I think I would probably say that they all three – play at least one game this fall that still might not age well because things change so quickly and so right. rapidly that I, it's just hard to it's it's harder than ever to predict something like that um but I'll go with my second thing is um <laughs> I just think it's so funny and so weird how for so many months people are like the media is rooting against football folks Ohio State fans are rooting against football. And, like, it's just so – it's so funny to me because the media rooting against football narrative was such BS from the beginning, yet we heard it over and over and over again. I get it. I understand why Ohio State fans are rooting against football. I understand why Big Ten fans as a whole are rooting against football at, at, at all schools because, you know, there's a perception that if the other three conferences play this fall, then the Big Ten will fall behind and it will hurt them. It's I, I don't it's still funny to me. It's still funny to me that Ohio State fans and Big Ten fans, the same ones probably that called out, you know, the media for quote unquote rooting against football, which again didn't happen, was just reporting and, and writing and commenting about commentating about commenting about things that 
you know, eventually did happen, as we know, the Big Ten, not playing football this fall, all of a sudden rooting against football. And that is so ironic that I just had to bring it up here. Yeah, I think the difference is, I think, you know, the, the, the media was construed as rooting against football when they were actually uh, pointing out, you know, facts as to why football might not happen, whereas I don't think the Big Ten or Ohio State fans have any facts as to why the <laughs> ACC or SEC and Big 12 shouldn't play. They just don't want them to play because uh, it's going to be hard, a hard pill for them to swallow. Yeah, and, and listen, I get it. I This is one of those things where it's like I fully understand it because Ohio State fans – are Ohio State fans. They're not college football fans first. They're Ohio State fans first. And I understand all of you out there who feel that way. I can't say it's not funny. I I'm, I, I was laughing just thinking about it. Um, so, you know, I get it. And if I were an Ohio State fan, I would – I mean, I, I would probably think the same way. Um, from my perspective, I'm a West Virginia fan. I will be interested to actually see West Virginia play football in the fall considering I haven't really actually been able to sit down and do that every single week. Um, but, yeah, no. It's funny to me. Dan, what's your third thing you've been thinking about? I kind of brought this up a couple of things ago, but I'm still going to just bring it up again to kind of hit more on it is I, I know people are upset about the season being canceled and they're looking for any reason for the season to be canceled. But let's, even if you think this was a factor and I don't know whether it was and wasn't, but let's not blame the Big Ten and Pac-12 players for having a voice and and asking for things that, that you know they rights that they believe they should have, you know especially in the Big Ten case, which I think were very reasonable things they were asking for. Let's not blame them for being the reason the season's not happening because these are conversations with between players and between you know the NCAA and the conferences or whatever. These are conversations that are long overdue. And, yeah, I do not put it past the Big Ten and the Pac-12 that one of the reasons why they might have canceled the season was because they didn't want to have those conversations right now. And it might have worked because if, if, if I think now, you know, the overwhelming sentiment from the players is we just want to play. And so I think, you know, that might weaken the case that they have going forward. Uh, but, you know, I, I also think that, you know, let's not vilify the players for, you know, speaking up for their rights. And I, and I also think the, the, the opposite side of that is very much possible here, where players aren't playing, they're upset. It could give them more reason to organize over these next five months and, you know, to, to, to try to, you know, even strengthen their efforts. Uh, to try to make change happen in college athletics. So I don't know how any of that's going to play out because it, it's, it's just been such a, such a weird year. As I've said before, I think changes are coming. I don't know what changes are coming, but I, I, I do not think that the, the you know, I, I, I think, you know, to, to try to frame it as, well, the reason why the season was canceled was because players spoke up for themselves. I don't think that's fair to the players. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the players who had valid concerns about this had valid valid concerns about it. And, you know, I think we've probably seen now since the season was canceled or since reports started to leak out that it was going to be canceled that the majority of guys care more about playing than they do about any of that other stuff. But I, I still don't think that, that – that's not a reason 
to not have that conversation. That's not a reason why that conversation shouldn't be had going forward. Just because, you know, the power is in the conference's hands right now to determine whether or not there's going to be a football season doesn't mean that those conversations don't still need to happen in the future. And, you know, I, I just don't, I just don't think it's fair to frame it as, well, you know, if the players hadn't asked for these things, there'd still, there'd still be a season because uh, I, I do think, you know, we're, we're entering an, an era where athletes are speaking up more than ever. And even with all of this, I don't think that's going to change. Yeah, if, they, if there was a union, if the NCAA allowed there to be a union or if there was a players association, I really do think that they would be playing football right now because I think that they would have been able to negotiate some sort of thing where, you know, there are policies put in place um, that are okay with all the players and, and are safe enough for all the schools and they understand that the players are buying in and, and they understand what they have to do. I think there was a way to do it, yet because they can't um, – the NCAA doesn't allow this and has put up so many barriers to prevent this from even happening. All of a sudden you have players going out there and, and talking and trying to do this, you know, outside of, you know, the, what the NCAA, the NCAA's purview. And you can't really blame that. It goes back to the NCAA not allowing it in the first place. Yep. But my last thing, um, I was split between two, but I'll just go with this one. Um, I think it's just amazing how Ohio, you know, lucks into a, a five-star defensive end every two years. <laughs> just just because I think it's so amazing that they go from Zach Harrison to Jack Sawyer to Brennan Vernon. And it feels like all three are complete sure things. And it's obviously um, – it is luck. Because, yeah, Ohio high school football is great, but who knows that a Brennan Vernon's coming along? Who knows that Jack Sawyer's coming along? Who knows that Zach Harrison's coming along? It just sort of happens that way. Um, and from my perspective, I'm not really sure that there's a position that I would want there to be, you know, a five-star coming to you every two years, more so than defensive end. Obviously, quarterback would probably be the answer. But beyond that, I think a, a pass-rushing defensive end for Ohio State to just be producing these five stars all of a sudden, I, they're, they're in business right now. And I think that the, the, the great part about someone like a Brennan Vernon and Jack Sawyer, this wasn't necessarily the case about Zach Harrison, but it feels like Brennan Vernon is pretty much a lock to Ohio State. I mean, people who cover recruiting, it feels like that's the vibe everybody's sort of giving. And Jack Sawyer was absolutely a lock to Ohio State. It was up to Ohio State to screw that one up. Obviously, Zach Harrison was different. You had to treat Zach Harrison like he's an out-of-state guy um, who didn't necessarily love the idea of playing for the in-state Columbus school. But to have these guys, I, I really do think maybe left tackle is the other position I would throw out there. And congratulations, Paris Johnson exists. Um I think Ohio Ohio is managed to produce the perfect position every single every two years for Ohio State, and I just think it's funny how that thing turns out. I think I'm a little bit uncomfortable with calling a 2023 recruit a sure thing at this point, but uh... um, I, I am too. But I'm just reading people who have done this for years, and the way that they talk about Brennan Vernon is the way they talk about Jack Sawyer. And Jack Sawyer is not giving me any any indication that he's going to be anything other than a stud. Um, and I'm excited to go see Brennan Vernon. It might be as soon as this week. 
So I would love to come back with a report on what I saw of him um, on Nets podcast. But yeah, you're right. No 2023 recruits a sure thing, but we all know how these things go. And a lot of these guys who are ranked top 10 originally in a class that even, even someone like that who's a high school sophomore, as long, as long as something doesn't go wrong along the way, I think he's going to turn out perfectly fine. Yeah, there's a reason. Fine, I mean, awesome. <laughs> there's a reason why he already has an offer from Ohio State, and why Ohio State's already going to be pushing for his commitment because uh, he's certainly expected to be one of the top recruits in his class. Yeah, Jack Sawyer was the building the 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 cornerstone for the 2021 class. I still remember writing that story. I'll write a story about Brandon Vernon being the cornerstone for the 2023 class if they can make it happen, and they would certainly love to to have him be the first one to to commit to Ohio State. And who knows if that'll happen anytime soon, but you, if you're Ohio State, you've got to feel pretty good about Ohio rewarding you with a five-star defensive end every two years. Yeah, they've been getting a lot of these in-state cornerstones <coughs> here in these, these recent classes. You know, we're seeing them do it again in 2022 with getting in early on in-state guys. So I, I have – it's certainly if, if I was looking at the recruits right now and if I were going to uh, bet on which 2023 recruit I would bet on being the most likely to be the first commit in the class, my pick would be Brennan Burrow. And Ohio State would love that for you, love, love for you to be right. Absolutely. We don't have a lot of questions this week. Um, the which ones is that, fair. Yeah, which is fair. Uh, I think uh, – you know, I think a lot of the, the uh, more serious questions were asked a couple of weeks ago. And I think, uh, understandably, people are upset. And they don't really know what to ask right now. Um, so uh, we did – Hove and I asked a question about the uh, 2022 uh, recruits. And I think I kind of rephrased that to ask to Zach. Um, so hopefully we answered that question. Uh, I survived the Cooper era asked uh, – I think he's referring to Wednesday will mark his 46th year circling the sun. Can you grant me a birthday wish and give us Buckeye football this fall? If I could, I would. Unfortunately, I do not have that kind of omnipotent power. You did survive the Cooper era though. So maybe you can survive a, uh, a fall without football. That, that was actually my first thought too. When I saw the uh, username, but I was going to say, I think, uh, I think a lot of us are going to be talking for a long time about how we survived 2020 because what a year this has been. And oh, Dan, you better go knock on some wood. I mean, you don't want to be saying that in, in August. You haven't <laughs> survived it quite yet. This is true. This is true. That's a, it might be a dangerous proposition, but I hope I survive. I'm, I'm planning on trying. <laughs> Aren't we all? Aren't we all? P.S. It's, I think is how I pronounce it. He asked us six questions none of which are about football. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. I do not have a good answer for any of them. So no, I, just... I, I don't either. And this is going to be a problem because I think that let's just run through them quickly. Yes. And rapid fire. So yeah, rapid fire, best wedding gifts for couples on their second marriage. <laughs> the issue for both of us is most of my friends aren't on their first marriage. Correct. So to, to, to tell you an answer to that one, I think you might want to go and – ask the Dubcast folks who have been around on this planet a little bit longer than us. Yeah. I don't think I've ever bought a 
a wedding gift for someone on their second marriage. I just Nor have I. Yeah, so I, I'm sorry. I've got nothing for you. Hit us back up on podcast episode 572 in, you know, a few years from now. Yeah, knock on wood for that one, that we get to 572. The Grateful Dead on current music. Dan, I know you're just really locked into The Grateful Dead, so. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm... I'm sad I can't answer this one because I, you know, I am a classic rock guy, but I'll be honest, I'm not much of a Grateful Dead guy. Um, so I just, I just don't have an answer for it. Uh, I do know they're an influential band, uh, but unfortunately, I, I just don't have an answer for that one. Yeah, all I've got is that Deadhead is a great name, but um, I have literally, no, I, I couldn't name a single song of theirs, which will make some people um, very mad at me, but that's okay. Which is a better show, Justified or Breaking Bad? And I don't really know that I've watched Justified, but I know that I've watched Breaking Bad, and Breaking Bad is number one all time for me on shows. So Breaking Bad is a is an easy answer for me. You're going to be shocked to hear this, but I've never watched either of them. I know. So I your your lack of TV show movie watching will never not surprise me. I will me. say Here I will are. say I'm the grateful that I was I was listening to Touch of Gravy every day. So I, I I I am ahead of Colin in that I at least know one Grateful Dead song. There you go. Is it okay to wrap ribs after 2 hours on the smoker? Again, I have no idea. I mean, I <laughs> I I I enjoy I enjoy smoked ribs, but I've never made them myself, so I don't know. Yeah, nor have I. Again, I need my own. I should I probably own. learn. This would probably be a good time to learn uh, because there's not going to be any football this fall. Um, I don't have a smoker, but this would probably be a good time to learn. Yeah, once I get my own place. Yeah, I'm here exactly. <laughs> then, I'll, then I'll start answering that. All right, better gifts or follow you or alum. And listen, I've got one answer, and it's the person who asked us questions. And I'm yeah, going with uh, I, Bartholomew. I'm going to be honest. I am not overly familiar with alums' gifs, so my apologies to you. But Bartholomew, I know, does make great gifs, so that's my answer. God, I forgot you're a gif person instead of gift person. Just bring it up. Just tearing off old wounds. All right. Um, how? Last question is, how great is Pearl Jam? And Dan, you know, my only Pearl Jam is when I listen to the, big, to, to the Bill Simmons podcast, and this is intro music, because Pearl Jam is not really um, on my playlists. And uh, Dan, I think more, more likely it's on your playlist, but is it actually? I do like Pearl Jam. I do like Pearl Jam. They've got some, they've got some good songs. Uh, I would say, though, I am not – when it comes to 11 Warriors staffers, Grant Edgel, who is our designer, uh, is without a doubt the biggest Pearl Jam fan on staff. I think he's one of the biggest Pearl Jam fans in the world. Um, so if you really want to ask – if you really want to get a good answer on how great is Pearl Jam, Grant would be the guy to ask. I think they're a good band. Uh, I, to me, they're not a transcendent band. Um, you know, in terms of like those '90s grunge bands, I'm more of a, a Nirvana, Alice in Chains guy. Same, Dan. Yeah, me too. I'll pretend. <laughs> I could see the wheels spinning there for Colin, thinking about. Yeah. Don't do much for him either, but yeah, no, I. Um, Pearl Jam's Pearl Jam's got some good songs. I mean, I 
I, I, I think I've even done some uh, rock band Pearl Jam, going back to an earlier podcast this summer. Uh, I'm not going to do that right now. We've gone, we've gone on long enough today. But uh, <laughs> yeah, next, yeah, next time you do that, Zach will have to be in the room. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I if you guys want to make requests, I'm I'm expecting lots of weird questions for the next five months. So uh, uh, have at it, and uh, we'll do the best we can. But I think that's enough for today. I think uh, I think that's enough for today. Um, you know, we're gonna kind of uh, we're gonna kind of keep it open ended for now in terms of you know, are we gonna do this every single week? Are we gonna maybe take some weeks off? We haven't really had those discussions yet, so we'll kind of see how it goes. Uh, I, I would say we'll shoot for at least one every two weeks, um, and if there's a lot of stuff to talk about, we'll do it every week. But I think we'll shoot for at least one every two weeks. And again, if you guys have ideas, things you want to hear us talk about, uh, let us know, and we'll uh, we'll try to incorporate them on the show. So uh, thanks again for listening in, and we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>